Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Okay, so last time we were talking about... We were talking about interpreting interactions um, and the idea that you got to be careful when you're interpreting main effects in the presence of interactions. So if you're thinking about, and here's an example. Um, if you've got, there's two kinds of memories. I think I used this example before. If you have two memory tests, and one of, the, one of them is what's called an explicit test. So I give you a list of words, and you recall the words. Just a, a standard memory test going back to like, you know, Ebbinghaus, you know. And the other one is what's called an implicit task, and that's word fragment completion. So I give you one of the words in the list you studied was coffee, and I give you the one of the word fragments I give you is C blank blank F blank E. And you, of course you fill in the blanks and get coffee. So you're more likely to fill in the blanks properly when you've seen a word before in a list. Um, more likely than you are to fill in the... And of course, you don't need to have seen the list before. You can do that perfectly fine. But the ones you've seen before, you do better than distractors from words you haven't seen before in that list. That's called an implicit memory task. It's kind of cool. Take the memory course next year if you want. 30, whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> I can't remember the course title anymore, course number. But uh, one of the cool things about it, in fact, is that people that have amnesia even, so hippocampal lesions, still do perfectly fine and look normal on these tasks. They can, of course, do regular recall tests. So it's an interesting comparison of memory tests. <coughs> and one of the things you find, and again, no black, bad blackboard situation in here, so I'll just draw it here, is if you were to draw an axis like this, so you've got, you got a degree of attention interval. So you'd have, say, one hour, 24 hours, and I'm going to the scale, obviously, because you over there, seven days. Okay? So if you did that, and you tested the explicit task, just recall, plain old vanilla recall, you would get, and this would be percent correct here, on the, for the dependent variable, it would go down. Something like that. And there we would say, <coughs> excuse me, there's a main effect of retention interval. It's pretty clear it would be an effect. This would not be surprising, as I mentioned the other day. In fact, you would not get this published. This happened, we'll figure this out a very long time ago. Now let's try the implicit task, and we can look at percentage of fragments completed. So it's still percent correct, same dependent variable. And in fact, you get something like this, a straight line. Uh, your word fragment completion ability literally can last six months. It's been tested. So a week is nothing. A week is nothing. So right there, you have an interaction. Clearly, the lines cross. We would say that memory test type depends upon Sorry, the effective retention interval depends upon memory test type. It's clearly the case. However, this dropped so drastically, we could have a main effective retention interval. How do, you mean, how do I know this? Why do you just look at this and say, look, the average is here, here, and here. So if we're ignoring or what's called collapsing across memory test type, we still get an effect. The, the ANOVA would come out with a significant effect. It always does in these experiments of retention interval. And you would never interpret it. So here's a, that's a real example of there's a case where you couldn't interpret it because you can't say 
retention rule affects memory without saying depending upon the memory test type. And a lot of what we, did, what we deal with in life sciences in general, psychology in particular, is interactions. Uh, we deal with complicated phenomena. Now, this is what, what we have here is what's called the disordinal interaction. It's disordinal because the order of the main effects is not preserved. The lines cross. If it was an ordinal interaction, we might, I usually feel comfortable saying, yeah, I'm fine, there is an effect. I feel, I have no problem saying that. But that's a matter of interpretation. If I found it even here, though, with implicit and explicit memory, I, would, I still wouldn't interpret it, because theoretically it's uninteresting. So you have to go back and be sort of real world-like and look at your data. Um, with this order of interaction, it's probably impossible. Now, if the lines crossed by, let's say we had an effect of, of, of retention of a implicit memory, so it did decay some, you could probably then, with extreme caution, interpret it, but I wouldn't. That would be your own call. Does it make sense with other research, with other experiments in your paper, things like that? But it's one of these cases where you really, the decision you make is a lot of times based on can I talk about this without mentioning the other variable. So that's hard to do with a disordinal interaction. Questions about that? That makes sense? I think that's where we work. All right. Let's partition the sums of squares and degrees of freedom. So remembering the model, it's x equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. And we can break that into sums of squares. Sum of squares total. These are just deviations, and I'll show you some of the real math in a second. Remember what some of the squares are? They're just deviations, square deviations from means. This is every score, regardless of group, minus the grand mean squared. That's what some of the squares total is. What that equals is the sum of squares of A, that's the effect of A, plus the effect, sum of squares from B, sort of like the effect of B. The sum of squares for A be the interaction, and then what's left over sum of squares. So we're going to split this up, right? So we can eventually get mean squares and divide the effect of A, so the mean square for A over the, over the mean square for error, and we can find out actually is there an effect of A, is there an effect of B, and is there a significant interaction effect? Okay? So if you think of it this way, sum of squares A is squared deviations. Remember A was columns and B was rows. You could make it the other way. Let's just think that it's always that way. A is columns, B is rows. Okay? These are square deviations of column means from the grand mean. That's what sum of squares A is. And you probably guess sum of squares B is square deviations of row means from the grand mean. Right? And if it was sum of squares treatment, that in the old days, right, back before the break, back with the regular old model, was straight one way over, that's just, that's just square deviations of group means from the grand mean. So really these are the same thing as sum of squares treatment, except now you have two of them. Sum of squares for AB 
is the square deviations of the cell means, that's like A1B1, A1B2, A2B1, and A2B2, from what we would expect given the row and column means. Okay? If the row mean is 7, and the column mean is 3, right? We expect the cell mean to be 5, because we have 7 and 3 is 10 divided by 2 is 5. It should be 5, but what if it's 26? Well, we have an interaction of some sort. And some of the scores error is square deviations of individual scores from cell means. This is exactly the same as what we would expect uh, with um, some scores error for, for, for the one way and the other. So the only really new thing is, is this, some scores AB. Now, some variance is the principles are the same no matter what your design is. Question so far, is this making sense? Well, I know you step break. It's never long enough. It should be two and a half weeks. I'd go for that. Classes go to the end of April. We get two weeks a week. I'd be fine. Two and a half weeks. I'd be fine. Let's just have classes all on one day in April. One day each. You think that block might be intense? Just one day apiece. You get a degree in 20 minutes. Maybe an exaggerated sum, I don't think that would work. Okay, so more precisely, this is actually what it means mathematically. I'm never going to ask you this, but it's actually what it says. Look, individual scores minus red means squared. Sum of column means minus uh, red means squared. Sum of row means minus red means squared. Look at that, there's two of them now. Because <laughs> you got the score minus the row mean minus the column mean. And then we add in grand mean. Because we've actually, by taking this out twice, we've taken out the grand mean, we've got to put it back here. Then this is a good one. Sama, sama, sama. Individual score. Okay. This is n minus 1. That's going to be the number of levels of A minus 1. Right? So we had two levels of A typically in our experiments. I think we actually levels of processing when we had three levels. So we have three minus one is two. We had three for our uh, retention interval, three minus one is two. For the interaction, it's a minus one times b minus one. And I can show you this by way of the demonstration in a sec. In fact, I'll do that right now. So, and let's use our, let's use a very straightforward example, just a two by two, right? So we got A1, A2, A1, A2. Okay, just give me a number and one of the cells. Three in which cell? A1, A1, B1, so it's three. Oh, that's gotta be negative three, that's gotta be negative three, that's gotta be positive, because they have to sum. So we had one degree of freedom with a two by two. If we have a two by three, and this was normal. So if it's a 2 by 3, let's put a 3. Oh, we could put, put a 6 here. If we want to, we could, that's no good. Yeah, what the hell? Six, oh, that's going to screw up everything, so it's just it's not over. No problem. Give me another number. 7. 7, where do you want to put in there? A1, B1. A1, B1, 7. So give me another one. 
Four, thank you, Malene. You're, thank you for playing along today. Where would you want to put that? A2, B1. A2, B1. Four. Uh-oh, that's going to be minus 11. That's going to be plus 11. That's going to be minus 4. And that's going to be minus 7. So now we have 2 degrees of freedom. And then 2 times 1. If we had a 25 by 25, we would have 576 degrees of freedom, because it's 24 times 24. If we had a 2 by 25, 2 by 25, we'd have a 24 degrees of freedom. Numbers of, number of levels of A times number of levels of B. Uh, sorry, minus 1 and minus 1 in both cases, right? So A minus 1 times B minus 1. For the error, we get A times B. That's the number of rows times the number of columns times the number of subjects per group minus 1. Can you do this with unbalanced designs? In other words, where you have... Uh, Five people in one group and four in another. You can, it, makes, it changes things a little bit. It's not something to worry about. The software usually takes care of that for you. I can tell you that your best bet is not to have unbalanced designs. As my old stats prof, Ian used to say, the best way to analyze unbalanced experiments is not to collect data in unbalanced experiments. Just collect more data. I have to tell my thesis students that they come to me and say, I've got 26 people in this group and 24, and go, go run two more people. But they won't be randomly assigned. I don't care. Just go run two more people, please. I'm sorry. Test two more participants. You don't run people. Those trained rats, pigeons, chickadees, jumpers, and monkeys. Not by them. Didn't say that about Shara. Name's here, Bill. Okay. Remember we worked out the expected value? Remember it was like mean squared for treatment was, treatment was just tau plus epsilon, we'll call it. And for error it was just epsilon. Right? Simply know it was, and that shouldn't be a sigma, that should be epsilon. Damn it, I thought I called all those. It should be sigma plus tau, and for error it was just, that should be epsilon. So it should be epsilon plus tau and epsilon. Damn it. I caught all the other ones. So this should be, expect about mean square treatment in the old, in the old should be epsilon plus tau. And mean square should be epsilon. I keep putting a sigma there. I could say that I'm mean squared epsilon, but that actually isn't what I meant. So. And we would divide mean squared treatment by mean squared error to see if we had an effect, right? We have to do the same thing for mean squared A, mean squared B, and mean squared AB, and of course, mean squared error. That's how we find out what to divide by what. If we know what the expected values are, all we're trying to do is always isolate the effect we're interested in. So we're going to be interested in the effect of alpha, the alpha, the beta, and the alpha beta. That's what we're interested in. Okay. You would expect, ah, uh, see, I fixed these. Okay, should be a return in there. Expect the value of mean squared A, uh, I didn't fix all of them, God, I'm just a loser. Alpha plus epsilon, expect the value of mean squared B is beta plus epsilon. So there should be a, a return here, and there should be an epsilon instead of a sigma. It should be alpha plus epsilon. And that should be a new line. So the value of mean squared B is beta. That's correct. Beta plus epsilon. 
Who's that calling? Apparently not. Ah, <clears throat> that's it. Expect the value of the square root of AB, as you would expect, is alpha, beta, plus epsilon. And this is just sort of my own shorthand. What this means is variance due to the interaction and variance due to the error. And expect the value of the mean squared error is epsilon. Divide these all by this, and we'll be happy. Just as you expect, we're going to divide mean squared A over mean squared error, mean squared B over mean squared error, mean squared AB over mean squared error. So we're going to have three F tests in one analysis of errors. Okay? It's three, three, three tests in one. It's a reference to an old certs ad from the 70s before any of you were born. I remember when I was teaching intro psych in Newfoundland. I started with, <clears throat> when I was 32, and I was 36. I was teaching intro, and it occurred to me suddenly I was twice the age of everyone in the room. I made a Flintstones reference that no one got. Which was sad, because it's the Flintstones. It's a classic, and everyone should watch the Flintstones. It, it can tell you things about life, like how not to treat your wife. It's one of the things it teaches you. And then... I, I stopped and I, I just I had this realization. I went on, of course. It's not like I, I started to cry. I don't really care how old I am. I'm closer to 90 than zero. That's kind of strange. I'm just going to divide all these by mean squared. Like I said, of course, mean squared. Why would we test that anyway? I think I'm going to 50. I think I'm going to turn 50, that would be weird. Yeah, that'll be weird. I heard me a couple years ago, I said, I'm the same age as Dad was when I brought Isabel home for the first time. That was weird. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> However, those expected values are only in the case when you're only interested in those particular values of AB in your experiment and no others. In other words, they're what's called fixed effects. You're only interested in those values of the independent variable. So in our example we had before with the um, different types of memory tests, you're only interested in explicit and implicit memory. Well, okay, sure. And the only retention intervals you're interested in to make any inferences at all about are one hour, 24 hours, and seven days. Technically, you can't say anything about six days, four days, and a half, That's crazy talk. Because we do it all the time. We draw graphs with lines, and you interpret. You go, look, it drops down. It's a fixed effects model. And in fact, we almost always deal with fixed effects models in pretty much everything in psychology. Pretty much every time you'd be using something in biology to the point as well. Pretty much every time. But technically, you can only interpret about the levels that you have in your experiment. You cannot interpret about other levels that are between. You know, you, you, you do that. You would say, look, you can see how it decays between one hour and, 20, and 24 hours. 
but you can't talk about what, we, what you think is happening at seven hours. You technically can't statistically. <clears throat> it doesn't mean you can't theoretically, but you can't statistically. What if we randomly chose the levels? So we had a whole big pot of levels, and we just randomly chose levels for our experiment. We like randomness. Randomness is our friend. Well, the expected values change. And you're going to say, what? Well, what we have to do now, the math behind all this has to, has to say, has to know, in essence, that we are randomly selecting levels. So there's a whole other set of math that is thrown in now. It's like, oh, how'd you get the levels? Oh, I randomly sampled them. The expected value of mean squared A now is alpha plus alpha beta plus epsilon. And for B is beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. Now this means we're choosing A and B random. And for interactions, alpha beta plus epsilon. And for error is just epsilon. So there's two that haven't changed, but the main effect ones have changed. So we've randomly chosen levels of A and B. Now, I can't, it wouldn't work with our memory experiment because I can't think of every possible kind of, or a big sample, or sorry, a big population of, of memory tests that we could use. But if you thought about something like an industrial example or, or a marketing type example where you randomly choose seats, right? And you want to look at, uh, so that could, that could be a level. We could choose like that kind of thing, and then you could look at you know, different levels of uh, how much marketing we do to sell our tires or some crap like that. I think the example I use in the book is tires. So now what we're going to do, if we have this random effects model, we're going to divide mean squared A and mean squared B by mean squared alpha beta, mean squared AB. That's how we're going to do the main effect tests for the F test. We're not doing it, we're not dividing by epsilon, uh, oh, sorry, by error anymore, by mean square error. What's called our error term for these two effects is actually the interaction mean square. And again, this just changes because we've randomly selected our levels. It doesn't change how you calculate mean squares, it doesn't change the software. We calculate mean squares, no one does these kind of things by hand really. Or if you're a geek like me and you're taking this course in 1987, you write your own software to do it, but that's just me. Because I'm an idiot. Oh, why work on that paper when I can write my own little stats package? It's kind of thing I used to do. I once spent, I spent much of third year writing a Star Trek game. It wasn't a good game, but it was like, this will be, oh, this will be neat. I'll just do this. I'll just. Next thing you know, I'm making little routines where people are materializing. Oh, had I actually not wasted third year like that, I probably would have done it. It's fun. Interaction, we're still going to divide by mean squared epsilon, I mean squared error. We're still going to, but these two were divided by the interaction. It becomes our error. Can you see why? Okay. 
We want to isolate alpha, we want to isolate beta, or we want to isolate alpha beta. That's what we want to do when we divide this by something. So if we've got, what you do is you take a look and say, what do we have that takes away everything but alpha? Right, if we divide it, we go, oh, well, this has got alpha, beta, and epsilon, so does this. That'll cancel out, we end up with alpha. It doesn't actually cancel out, but follow what I'm saying. Same thing with mean squared for, for B. We go, well, it's beta plus alpha, beta plus epsilon. We want to just isolate alpha, uh, beta. Let's find something as alpha, beta plus epsilon. Oh, it's the, it's the interaction effect. So that's how we're doing this. It's the same thing with tau plus epsilon over epsilon, right? When we're doing the standard straightforward one-way ANOVA. And the nice thing is you can actually tell software. These are random effects. And it just does this for you to actually remember it. So that's good. I'm um, a lot of software. You don't, not so much with like Excel or Google Spreadsheets. You can do that with SPSS or SAS or something like that. Wrong. What if we had a mixed model with A being fixed and B being random? That's actually much more likely. That's like our memory experiment, right? We would have the two fixed, the fixed effects for A, so that's going to be implicit and explicit memory, and we'll just randomly choose a bunch of retention intervals. That actually sounds like something you might do. And you're going to think that that's a, a typo, and it's not. If the main effect, sorry, the accepted value of mean squared A, when A is fixed, is alpha plus alpha beta plus epsilon. And the expected value for, for B, which is the random one, looks like the old fixed one, beta plus epsilon. Happily, the other two don't change. Interaction doesn't change. And error doesn't change. And I know that looks completely ass backwards. Because you would think, well, if A is fixed, it should look like the fixed one. And if B is random, it should look like the red. No. It just isn't. If you're that interested in why, there's a book I can lend you. If you really, really, really like calculus. Or you could do, and I've said this before, pretend you're Catholic and I'm Pope Dave. And what I say is just true. Because uh, the god of statistics, I, I got a one-on-one -on -one with him. Because of the hat. I was not trying to offend Catholics there. I, I can offend Catholics all day long. Not, I could easily do it, but that wasn't meant to be that. I can offend everybody. Next time I'll do it, I'll mention some other religion. I think Pope Dave did a good name. I could technically be elected Pope. I am a male Catholic. I was baptized. I would stop wearing the pointy hat until I'd wear a jaunty beret. think? <laughs> Here's the ball cap. I am Pope Dave, how's it going? Now on, um, just keep being Catholic, talk to you later. <laughs> I don't know what I'd say. The chance of me getting elected is vanishingly small. It's almost as much as me winning the lottery. No, I think it's even smaller than that. Anyway, enough about me becoming Pope. <laughs> so you divide mean squared A over 
mean squared AB, mean squared B by mean squared error, and mean squared AB by mean squared error. But it's not a typo, and I know it's counterintuitive. I, I know it is. Believe me, the first time I learned this, I actually didn't believe that he, my stats prof. And I said, that's got to be wrong. And the whole class was like, that's got to be, you must have made a mistake. And he pulls up the book and says, oh, well, I guess it's not a mistake. <coughs> Again, with a lot of stats packages, you can say, this is a fixed effect, this is a random effect. Right? I'm pretty sure S plus S will do that. If not, you would get the output and go, ah, it's going to tell me it's going to have divided mean squared A by mean squared error, but I know not to do that. I'll do, I'll get my calculator with myself. So, we're assuming a random, well, the random effects model, as I said, the levels of the random factor are randomly selected and independent of each other. We're throwing another assumption onto the analysis of variance. And random and independent, and especially the independent thing, is going to be really important here. But did we truly randomly select our levels? Because you're probably thinking um, right now, besides that how you're offended if you're Catholic, and I'm a Catholic thing there, which I, but I really didn't mean to offend you. You're probably thinking, this sounds like what we do. We want to be able to interpret everything. We want to be able to say, these are representative levels of the possible levels that could exist in nature uh, for memory or whatever you're interested in. Right? You think about um, the stuff that Fisher was doing back when he invented analysis of variance. He was doing stuff by growing plants in different uh, kinds of soil. And you would expect that he, he, wanted, to, he wanted to make uh, uh, conclusions about all kinds of soil. Right? Did he have every possible kind of soil like with different concentrations of nutrients and randomly select them? No. Right? No, no one would, that's almost impossible. There are cases where it's possible, but it's, it's quite small in, in sort of standard sort of science. Stuff. Really, what we're usually doing is a random effects mixed model, sort of. There's no math for that, though. There's no math for a kind of sort of model. Because if someone said to me, if one of my students said to me they wanted to do a memory experiment, I love when people do memory experiments because they're straightforward, analysis is easy, and I really know that stuff, so I don't have to learn anything when I do their thesis. Um, I don't, not that I'm like learning, it's like sometimes somebody comes to me and says, I want to do something in social psychology, and I say, you know, I've never taken any social psychology. You're going to have to go find me some articles to read, please. But somebody comes to me with a memory experiment, and we usually have retention intervals in there, and they say, what retention interval? I usually say, five minutes, one hour. <coughs> Why do I do that? It's not like I randomly selected all possible levels. People typically use about five minutes and one hour if they want to look at retention interval. Let's do five minutes, one hour, 24 hours. We can actually get 24 hours. We'll give them two, two experimental credits, you know, something like that. We've done that before. I'm not randomly, so I'm not throwing you into a hat much. Well, seven minutes, 26 seconds would be one of the levels. 0.3 seconds, it's going to be very easy, and 42 years. It's going to take you a long time to get your thesis done, but the stats will be done right. By then the robots will run the world, but it doesn't matter, you'll have a really good thesis. So 
I'm not really doing that. But they're not really fixed either. I mean, they're fixed in that I, I pick three, or we together pick three. But it's not like when I say five minutes, one hour, 24 hours, it's like I'm saying, and that is all we're interested in, no other levels. We do not care about other levels of this variable. They're uninteresting to us. Because suddenly I do a Captain Picard voice when I'm talking about them. That was sort of, it was kind of story-ish. Ish. So, in, in reality, we're kind of doing a weird mishmash. This is what I use as the way to determine what kind of model are you using? Did you actually randomly select the model, the levels? Unless you did this, you use a fixed effect design. Okay, so you're being squared for fixed effects. So usually we're doing fixed effects. Even though we really don't interpret them that way. Now again, you've got to understand, you've got to separate the statistical inference you can make and the sort of theoretical inference you can make. If I see a drop-off from five minutes to one hour, and then it keeps dropping off but a little less and less, so it's like a goes to an asymptote, it looks like, I'm not going to work under the assumption that it goes up and then down. That's not how things work. So I can look at other research and I can interpret, but I can't say it has stats to back me up. Okay? Questions about this so far? I know it's very weird. It's a very strange thing. Okay, but remember, the reason that the, the expected values change is because we're we're randomly selecting the levels in a random or or, or or mixed model, and when we do that, we're adding in a whole other level of randomness, other than like the the error being random, which is always in there. We're also adding in the, the levels are random, and we have to account for that with the math, and that's. And what comes out of attempting to that with the math is the fact that these expected values show up. We eventually get, just like we have with the one-way analysis of variance, you get an analysis of variance summary table. And if you play with SPSS, for example, you will get an analysis of variance summary table. It will look something like this. We have sources of variation. Okay, that's A, B, A, B, error in total. We have uh, degrees of freedom, A minus 1, B minus 1, A minus 1 times B minus 1, A times B times M minus 1, and big N minus 1. Big N is the total number of observations um, in the experiment. Mean square is always sum of squares divided by A minus 1, sum of squares B minus 1, sum of divided by degrees of freedom. A, B divided by A minus 1 times B minus 1, and sum of squares error divided by A times B times N minus 1. You've got to remember that when you do these, when you do the F tests, it's for fit, what I've shown you here, that's for fixed effects only. You're almost always only going to be dealing with fixed effects anyway. I have never actually used random effects models in my whole career. It just has never happened. So mean squared A, mean squared error. Mean squared B, mean squared error. Mean squared A, B, mean squared error. So, so you have to remember that, that again, I know that fixed effects, random effects, and it might, if, if you're kind of the kind of person, if you're anything like me, and let's hope you're not, 
because we need fewer people like me, not more. But if you're anything like me, these kind of things bug you. It's like, isn't it really a random effect? It hardly ever really is. You've never, I have never in my life randomly chosen levels of a subject, of a, of a, of a, of a level, of a dependent variable, independent variable. People do it, but it doesn't show up very well. And if you do that and you write it out, you're going to have to justify to whoever's reading this thing that you actually randomly select. And that's not going to be easy to do. And frankly, most people that edit journals and most people that will read an honors thesis don't have the statistical sophistication to even know what a random effects model is. They know that you always divide by mean squared error. That's what people know. I've seen it maybe once in my whole career reviewing articles for journals. And I can't remember what it was. It was some kind of field experiment, though, with birds. I remember that much. I was like, oh, this makes some sense. Because I think it was different habitats. They randomly selected different places. It's like, okay, I get that. That makes some sense. But I remember, because we would get the other, you get the other person's review, too, after you submitted yours. And the other person didn't even notice it. Uh, well, they certainly noticed it, but they didn't understand it, and they said... What do you mean, random effects model? I don't understand this, blah, blah, blah. And I actually gave the person a compliment, you know, saying, this is really cool that you actually did it properly. But it doesn't happen much. It doesn't happen much. Now, on a, on a quiz, on a test, on an assignment, assume it's fixed effects unless I tell you differently. Okay? Because the world works that way. Now these designs, by the way, okay, any questions? We're, we're, we're leaving the two-factor design, which is just two independent variables. And we're going to get a bigger design. Okay, good. These designs can get bigger. This is a two-by-two-by-two. This one's the 3D. You need your glasses for this one. You've got to have the active shutter glasses for this one. No, I'm kidding. The sun, he's got the three glasses from some movie walks around the house going to the heaven. World's in 3D. I said, yes, it is. It's also in HD and surround sound. It's always been that way. Except for me, it's not really, it's more of an SD for me. Still in surround. It's an infinite channel surround sound. <laughs> That's kind of cool. What do we have here? We got a, a by B by C. So we got a two by two by two. We have different subjects in each group. That's what G1, G2, G3, G4, G5, G6, G7, G8 means. So what we have here is we have eight groups. We have three independent variables. Okay? Now what you get, you have three main effects, A, B, and C. You might say, how could you have three different variables? Uh, here you go. How about species, memory, test type, retention interval? I have an experiment one through five from my PhD thesis. There you go. Those are three. So it's not uncommon, it's not ridiculous. You have main effects A, B, and C. You have three two-way interactions, A, B, A, C, A, B, C. And you have the three-way interaction, A, B, C. Who are also a synth pop band from the 80s. Thank you.
about this final? I don't know those USB record players, so I'm going to want to convert it all to just for fun. Because I'm not going to go ahead and buy all that music again, and I feel bad about stealing music. My brother's a record producer, and I just feel bad about stealing music. Which we shouldn't do it. Like somehow metaphorically taking food out of my nieces and mouths, even though it's not stuff I produce. So you have two-way interaction, you have three-way interaction, you have main effects. Look at all the F-tests we're going to have now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven F-tests in one design. It's exciting if that kind of thing excites you. So what the hell is a three-way interaction? Well, that's what this is. It says a two-way interaction changes depending upon the level of the third variable. Remember I said before interaction is when one, the effect of one variable changes depending upon the level of some second variable? Well, in general, an interaction is, so a two-way interaction is the changes, uh, the two-way interaction changes depending on some level of the third variable. That's a three-way interaction. A 27-way interaction is the 26-way interactions change depending upon the level of some 27th variable. Okay? So we're saying we have interactions, but they change depending upon the level of a third variable. And it's easy to actually, oh, by the model now is x equals u plus alpha plus beta plus gamma plus alpha beta plus alpha gamma plus beta gamma plus alpha beta gamma plus epsilon. That's a gamma. It's a small gamma. And you wonder why you learned the Greek alphabet? No, oh, you probably didn't, did you? No? Okay. I took this course in grade nine and we learned that. It was called, it was like an archaeology, an ancient civilization course. So we learned the Greek alphabet. We learned, uh, we learned hieroglyphics, like the sounds they made. And like you had to, on your final exam, we had to write our names in hieroglyphics, which was kind of cool. So like your name's like bird, water, boat. All I remember is that water makes a muh sound. It's like this, with an M, which is pretty cool. I remember thinking, I'm never going to use this again in my life, and then I got the statistics. It's like, hey, Greek letters, cool! Does it go alpha, beta, gamma? Delta, delta, zeta. Delta, epsilon, I can't remember. And a little beta. But Zeta is really early. Okay. Look. Main effect of A, main effect of B, main effect of C. A B interaction, A C interaction, B C interaction, A B C interaction, error. Oh, that is just throwing another, another variable. Okay, so if we have an interaction, it would look like this. Uh, a three-way interaction. You can, the way I can, you can see this is, excuse me, we have two-way interactions. Just look at the left panel for a second. We've got the effect of A. So A is lower than B, but in the left panel here, at B2, it's bigger than at uh, B1. So the effect of A changes depending upon the level of B. That's a two-way interaction. You look at the right panel, well, the lines actually cross. A disorderly interaction over here, such that um, A2 is bigger than A1 at B1, and then it flips at B2. But the pattern of the interactions is different depending upon the level of C. Right? 
And in fact, though it doesn't look quite like this, although much of, I wouldn't be standing here if we're not for three-way interactions. Because the effects on memory and retention interval is changed, and they're different depending on, on the species. That was what my, my PhD, my honors thesis, my PhD thesis on. My honors thesis is a piece of crap. That I did not deserve the grade I got. Yeah. I'm kind of sure, just by looking at it, I guess, that if you average the points on the top line and the bottom line, yeah. like, that overall you'd have what would look to be like an ordinal interaction. On the left? Well, on the, on the left, for sure. Yeah. But oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, you might. You might be able to interpret it that way. Yeah. Overall, ordinal interaction. Yeah, you might. The interaction is from yeah. looking at one, or do you have to look at? Yeah, you really have to look. You have to, to, to compare the interactions at C1 and C2. They look different. That's how you're going to see if there's. A, well, that's what the stats do to see if there's. Um. If it's ordinal in one graph and disordinal in another. It's going to be really hard to interpret any of this without mentioning C. Put it that way, right? And I mean, that's the rule of thumb I always use is can I talk about it without mentioning the other one? And in this case, I can't talk about the A-B interaction without mentioning the C. It'd be very hard for me to do. But in order to get the A-B interaction, yes. would you take, I guess... The, you mean just the pure A-B ignoring C? Yeah, you'd collapse across C. You'd average okay. across C. That's exactly what you do. Yeah. Now, can you actually talk about that interaction? I, in this case... Now, I don't know, this is just things I made up to demonstrate something, so I don't even know what these data, all these data are. But if I was looking at this, I'd like go, uh, I, uh, I typically think I, I wouldn't be able to talk about the AD without mentioning C. You know, uh, I know with the stuff I did with the chickadees and the juncos and the memory test type and the retention interval, um, I talked about the two-way interaction between memory test type and retention interval because they were very similar patterns between two species. But one of them had the memory for spatial locations way lower than the other. Right. Um, but the interaction pattern was roughly the same enough that I could talk about It's just looking at We see a disordinal interaction. Yep, right? sure. And we can't really talk about that. Hard to, yeah. But over, if we collapse across C, yeah. my guess would be an ordinal interaction. I think you're probably right, yeah. For A, B. You guys see what Mike's saying? So look, if you average, can we talk about Average the blue lines and average the red ones. In other words, you're collapsing across C. You're ignoring C. And assuming it has some theoretical value. We can't oh, yeah, sure, of course you can. talk about that without yep. saying, oh, disordinal interaction in one. No, no, I think you can. I think in that case you could. If, again, if there's a good theoretical reason to. If it's something you feel comfortable interpreting. And that, as I said, is always the rule of thumb for me. On the other hand, um, the safer thing to do is not do it at all. And typically, you have a three a design with three variables in it because you're looking for a three-way interaction. All right. One of the, one of the advantages of these kind of designs, well, you can study interactions. And much of what we do in behavioral science, in life science in general, is interactions. It really is. A lot of it's like, this happens in this situation, and this happens in that situation. That's an interaction. That's what an interaction is. Things change, effects change depending upon some situation you're in. That's what an interaction is. And that happens, think of how many theories we have in psychology that are like that. Right? We have a lot of them. 
social psychology, the fundamental attribution error, right? The idea that you blame yourself when good things happen and blame others when bad things happen. That's the, is that the fundamental attribution error? I ever took social. Is that what it is? I think that's what it is. Well, anyway, that says that my behavior changes about who I blame for something depending upon if it's good or bad. Oh, look, an interaction. So our theories have interactions in them. And this is also true. Um, like I said, generally in life sciences, things work this way. You know, well, there's a big principle in biology called the interaction principle. Genes and environment interact to create an organism. Yeah? And they're relatively simple to interpret once you've done it a few times, especially in two ways. Right? So especially if you're saying the effect of memory test type changes depending upon the retention error. I think that one was pretty intuitively pleasing. And in fact, even when you look at three ways, if you've done them a few times, they're not that bad. Right? Because if you look at one, it's like, oh yeah, there's an effect of what the animals remember, what kind, like, what kind of thing you're testing them on, the space or color, and how long the retention interval is. But it depends on the species, too. That's a three-way interaction. That's not that horribly complicated. Now, there's a downside, of course. There's always a downside to everything. This is how life works. Welcome to the real world, kids. Sort of my scared straight thing I'm doing there. Now I swear at you. Um, <clears throat> you ever seen scared straight where they take kids that are just kind of juvenile delinquents and make them go to jail? And they hang out with, like, uh, hardened criminals for, like, a few days in jail? And the idea is to make them so frightened to be in criminals they don't be criminals anymore? Pretty intense. There was a documentary called Scared Straight, and it was like, <laughs> they showed it to us in like high school. Just not actually as a way to scare any of us. I went, not a lot of criminals amongst us. But it was like a, in some kind of sociology type class. Was it sociology? It's called Man in Society. What kind of name for a course is that? Stupid. Anyway, it's cool. First time, yeah, put it this way. It's the first time in school they showed me at a movie where there was just profanity laden because these are criminals using bad words talking about bad things that happen in prison teacher was very uncomfortable downside fixed or mixed um, it's kind of a downside because people get caught up in this I don't think it's that big a downside but do you want to use a random effects model or a mixed model these things can get huge very quickly these kind of designs, now, with the three-way design, we have what? We had three main effects, we had three two-way interactions, and a three-way interaction. We had seven F-tests to do. We had seven F-tests. Now, they can get a lot bigger than that. What if we had four? If we have four, So let's, a four will be A, B, C, D, alpha, beta, uh, gamma, delta. So we have an effect of A and uh, B and A, B and C and C, A and C, B and C, B and D and D, A and D and D and D and D C and D C A. 
1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and we have 15 FS to do. And now your model becomes um, x equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus gamma plus delta plus alpha beta plus alpha gamma plus uh, beta gamma plus delta gamma plus gamma beta alpha beta gamma alpha beta gamma delta delta beta gamma plus epsilon. So it's ah. So that's pretty unwieldy, right? I mean, you can get kind of crazy here. And also, I thought, and what, what's a four-way interaction? Remember the three-way we just saw up there on, on, on the, the presentation, right? So it was like, just two panels, because it was just a two by two by two. And we're comparing just these two panels. We're saying, okay, under C1, it's like this, C1, it's like that. Now you have to look at that and say, okay, now let's compare it like that. And another one with D. Are those three-way interactions different depending upon the level of D? It starts to become really scary. Right? And if we threw in like a, a fifth one, it would double in size again. Plus one. So we have 31 effects to do. And at this point, the, the question, Mike, that you asked, this becomes moot, right? It becomes an academic question. Do I interpret the, do I interpret the three-way interactions in the presence of a five-way interaction? It's like, I don't know. I can't think in five dimensions, thank you. It becomes very difficult. So this is really a possible downside that people try to measure everything. This is one of the things that happens a lot with uh, honor species experiments, is that people want to measure everything. I read one paper in my life that had a four-way interaction most people just stop at three. They say, look, that's enough. That's enough. You might do this if you had, if say D was a control kind of condition, and you expect absolutely nothing to happen. Maybe then you're fine because it would take variance up. But think all the groups you need now. It doubles the size. Instead of eight groups, now you have 16 groups. This is only if it's two levels of each. So if this gets big, it doubles in size every time you add another level, just the same number of levels, right? So now instead of needing, let's say we needed 10 people per group, now we need, instead of 80, we need 160. If it's 160 people, you now have to, if you're doing your psych honors thesis, you're going to have to test about a sixth of the population of the entire university. No, that's right. About a tenth. Still to be impressive. If you're running rats, the price of ordering your rats just doubled, and housing them just doubled. You know, if, if you're if you're doing stuff with plants, if you're up there with Brandon doing stuff with plants, suddenly you're taking up every table in his lab. It's full of literally growing weed or something. That's what he's growing up there in his lab. Right? I'm kidding. Opium poppies. I'm kidding again. It's like Breaking Bad up there. It's a joke. So you can see that's a possible disadvantage. I would stop at three. I would never design anything with more than three, three variables. And I won't let honor students do anything more than two. I won't let them. I just say, no, you can't. You won't be able to interpret it. And I'm not right in your discussion section. 
<laughs> so, you know, I think it's sensible to stop it too. The level of statistical sophistication and also theoretical reasoning sophistication you're going to need for dealing with something like this is crazy. It's crazy. You can also do the whole thing breaking down the table, you know, take out one, take out the, take out the effective A thing. You can do that with one of these, it's, it takes forever. In our, in our course that I took at Western, uh, Psych 381, which was basically the same course as this, um, it was a full year long. We had, uh, on our final exam, which was four hours long, uh, which you had to get a 70 in that class to do, it, to do honors, and there were, you know, 600 psych majors, and then there were 70 people that did honors. I tell you something. Um, the final exam, four hours long, we had a, a five-way table meeting break day. Ridiculous. Why are you making us do this? You're evil and mean. And they dropped that course, because it's too hard. Questions on this stuff? I know I kind of... Typically, we don't go full time in this class because I know your brain gets full. That's okay, right? You don't feel cheated out of your tuition or something? No. I told some of you guys this once. It happened to me once in Newfoundland. It was a night class. I didn't go to a quarter to ten. And someone said, you know, I paid for the whole three hours. I said, next time I will speak very all right. Thanks, guys. is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.